this is Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 262 of Dogcast Radio. We live online at dogcastradio.com where we have all our podcasts plus articles, book reviews, breed profiles and more. You're welcome to drop in at any time and needless to say we are dog friendly so bring your dog along. Today we're all about feelings. Nothing more than feelings. I do apologise. I don't know quite what happened there. If you've lived with a dog, you'll almost certainly know that they have feelings. But which emotions do dogs have? Why hasn't this always been recognised? And what implications does it have for our training and for simply living with and making our dogs happy? To explore this more, I'm going to talk to Bethany Bell from Canine Consultancy, who is a free will teacher. So what is free will teaching? It's a, a very, very different uh, thing to training. And so what it is, is in a whole, it really is living life with our dogs and seeing them as our equal. So free will teaching is all about bringing a togetherness between dog parents and their dogs. And it's coming away from dogs being pets and more about them being companions and their own individual selves. So free will teaching is all about embracing the dog's individual self not trying to change who they are. And it's it comes from really teaching through conversational language, hmm. um, which I think is quite a, a different concept for a lot of people. Yes. Um, it certainly was for me when I first came across it. And it's just absolutely incredible to see the, the process of a dog actually learning and getting uh, the concept of what we're saying and actually then progressing on in, in their way, in their cognitive ability, uh, their self-awareness and their sense of being as well. So as a whole, it's just a, a completely different way to live with our dogs and, and how we view them as well. Yeah, I love the sound of that. I love that because that's, I mean, to me, that's why you get a dog because you, you, at the end of the day, you want a little friend, don't you? You don't want a slave that you can order around and bark instructions to and they will slavishly just follow. You you want a friend, you know, a, a force for good in your life. And, you know, I always felt with when with Buddy particularly and, and with, with Mischief now, who's she's not my dog, she's my daughter's dog. But when you do train or, or do activities with them, it's that feeling of teamwork that's the buzz. That's the, the thing that gets me back again when you think, oh, we're working together now. And, and, and also, when they can give feedback to you and you take that on board and you can sort of go, oh, you didn't like that. OK, we'll try it differently this time. You know, that is. And as you say, it's more than that. It's more than just the training. It's um, it's just the way we live with them because they are sentient little beings with their own thoughts and ideas and that needs to be acknowledged, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, my my background was coming from, uh, I was a positive reinforcement force-free trainer. Um, and so how I discovered free will teaching was because I was having difficulty with my own dogs. Um, I was also a behaviorist. And, you know, there there's a lot of people when they are behaviorists who go, okay, I can help other people's dogs and now I don't know how to help my own. And so I, I reached out to the founder of Free Will Teaching, who is Kathy Gregory. Um, and I learned, really, it just started off as, okay, I'm just going to 
see how she can help me. And I was just so inspired by that way of living with my dogs. And I completely changed my perspective. And that's why I um, transformed into a free will teacher, um, because it just it just suited me and my dogs, um, seeing them in a completely different light, in a completely different way, and, and understanding and embracing how how much more able they are than what I had previously believed. And I think that's where it comes from, is just having that acknowledgement of, okay, I, I I thought I knew more about them, but actually coming from this perspective, I have learned so much more and, and it's just incredible. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I remember early days with Buddy. We had, um, he was a, a Labrador, black Labrador. And we had a sandpit because my daughter was a little a child at the time. So we had a sandpit in the back garden. It was like a shell with a little shelf around the edge. And he'd got this little toy like a Wellington boot and he was trying to stand it up I was in the, in the, in the dining room watching him and he was trying to stand it up on this shelf and he kept falling off and he was trying, trying to stand it up. And he spent about, I don't know, two, three minutes doing this. And I was thinking, what's going on in your little mind? And that really made me think, you've got your own little thoughts. I may not have any idea what they are. I can do my best. I don't know what you're doing with the Wellington boot, mate, but you know, and, and I think that's, that's so important. I mean, and I love the fact that trainers, and behaviorists and you know people with authority and sort of that know what they're doing that we can respect you know your viewpoint are saying to us yeah you can actually respect your dog you can take their views into account I can remember years ago I would open the back door if the dogs were by the back door I'd open the back door and kind of go do you want to go out or not I wouldn't open the door and go well not always I mean sometimes there were times when I opened the back door and said come on guys you've got to go we're going out you know but sometimes it's like, what do you want? I'm trying to figure out what you want. And at the time, I would have been quite reluctant to admit that and publicly go, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I sort of try and, and see what my dogs want. But I think privately, maybe it's something we do instinctively when you have the right relationship with your dog, maybe. Um, but it's lovely that that's being confirmed for us, that we, you know, that we we can have that kind of relationship. I love it. Absolutely. And I think something that's, um, you know, a point you just brushed on there is is that a lot of people do a lot of that. A lot of people do talk to their dogs. A lot of people are now starting to kind of have that awareness of actually, no, do I have to do this? I want to be more lenient with them. Um, and some people are going, is it OK to, to be like that? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of the people that I teach um, have already got some of the understanding of where we're coming from anyway. They've already taught their dogs a lot of language. Um, it's just about teaching them you can take this further from that. So it's a it's a really interesting concept that most people are already kind of doing these things. Yeah. Um, and now it's just taking that to the next level and bringing that into an educational way. Yeah, yeah. And I love, I actually love the conversation one because I can remember with Buddy, um, when he got to about five, we started doing a bit more training. But I had that mad idea, Crufts or Bust, where I wanted to get him to Crufts, you know, one way or another. And we tried doing lots of different activities. And without fail, every trainer said to me, shut up, just say the word and shut up. Because I was sort of saying to him, come on, mate, you know, okay, so so um, jump or, or whatever it was in agility. And I'd be going, oh, careful, mate, do this. And, and, and they'd be going, just, just say the word. And particularly he worked with music as well. I'd be, oh, careful, you nearly did this. And, all just, and everyone said to me, shut up, just say the word and then leave him to it. And I was, that was a real stretch for me. I'm very verbal and, you know, and so to be able to 
to talk to them more and not to have that constraint. That would feel very natural to me. And as you say, when we, I think we forget at our peril that we, when we go to training, it's quite easy to, relatively easy to switch on and go, right, I'm training now. I've got my training hat on. I'm going to think about the things I do. When we come home and we're just in the kitchen preparing food or watching television or whatever, the dog is still on. The dog is still learning. And we sort of, we don't see that as training, but actually it is. And then that's when I'm cutting food up and whatever. And, to, and, and, I, and mischief is lying by my feet. That's when I'm talking to her a lot and sort of, so it is a torrent of language and they, they they must pick a lot of it up. So it is quite a natural situation, isn't it? Absolutely. It's it's and that's kind of the point of it. It's it's how we're gonna live with our dogs in a very natural way. It's a way of life. So there there isn't anything to do with uh like having training schedules or having to set an hour aside to do lots of training. It's teaching as we go through life and it's teaching our dogs as we go through life in, in different contexts and things that, that might be different each day. I mean, we never go over and repeat the same thing because each day brings a different experience and a different learning opportunity so it's it's all about how we respond and how we teach and how they respond and how they connect with us as well and how they communicate with us because having a conversation is a is a two-way thing it's not just us talking to them it's listening to their replies and obviously they don't speak the you know our language but they they can they we can understand how they speak. So we understand all the different nuances on their language on each individual dog, because it's it's not kind of like a clear cut. This is just how every dog will speak. They all yes. have their different nuances as, as we do as well. Yeah. So it's a, it's a nice natural way without any kind of uh, pressure that you have to set this up and you have to make it this go this way and you have to do this by a certain time it's actually taking that pressure away and actually going this is how we're living with our dogs and so when we are at home and we are doing that all all these different things this is teaching as we go and teaching all the necessary things that are relevant to our dogs lives and our lives as well yeah I love it you converted me (laughs) that's it I love it I love it why I sort of contacted you and said, please, will you talk to me? I saw your um, Facebook post about dogs having feelings. And I really wanted to talk about it because I absolutely agree. I think they do have emotions. And I think it is vital that we realise they do have those emotions. And they're not just, you know, a, a robot in the house with us. They they do have emotions, don't they? Absolutely. And and I think that it's it's been a long journey into, you know, getting the right research and actually getting enough interest for that research and then looking at, you know, how do dogs have emotions? What kind of emotions do they have? And I think that most most uh, people that that live with dogs will tell you oh, 100% they have emotions. I see them every day. We see it with our own dogs. We see it with other people's dogs. And when we actually, we just didn't have a look at the, you know, the scientific back in the research that was, you know, what was there because previously it wasn't this is a relatively new thing that's being researched because it wasn't really seen as something that was necessary as we're starting to kind of see dogs in a different light it is it has become more of interest so when we actually look at how our dogs are communicating with us they show us their emotions and they're actually very good at it you know they don't do what we do which is um we're very good at kind of hiding our emotions yeah dogs aren't very good at doing that so they're very good at telling us how they're feeling and, and you know we can then start to pair that with other things so yeah definitely they can and you can recognize it very quickly with your own dogs yeah yeah I think you're right because I always think you know with with us with humans we kind of do that I'm fine I'm fine 
you know, and I don't talk about it. And, I, and we put a, you know, we present a face to the world. Whereas the dog, you know, you never have to say to the dog, are you pleased I've come home? Or, you know, and otherwise you, you don't have to say, are you scared of that? Do you not like that? You know, you, you don't really, well, I mean, I suppose some, some dogs will go, you know, do a still and a quiet reaction. So you have to look for that. But on the whole, they wear their hearts on their sleeves, don't they? And they sort of, they, they Absolutely, yeah. if we're listening. Yeah. Yeah. So saying that, what, what feelings do dogs have? So if we have a look at, um, there's a, there's a lot of um, research that I don't know if you're familiar with, um, Dr. Panskip. So yeah. he actually went through and he started having a look at uh, mammals in, in, cause, uh, you know, we're basing this on now, uh, you know, we've all got a mammalian brain. So they're all about, uh, what can, how do mammals think and feel, you know, in the same way that we do. And the, and the research that he did came up with so many different things. It was so interesting. Um, you know, he came from the, the seven different, you know, emotional systems that, you know, all mammals have. And that was the same as us. So it all comes from, you know, it, a lot of it comes from there. So, what he discovered was the seven emotional systems, which is affective feelings. And we've got the first three, which are more basic emotional motivational. We've got seeking, which is uh, coming from enthusiasm. Hmm. We've got rage, which comes from feeling annoyed. We've got fear that comes from, you know, anxiety and things like that. Then comes four different, you know, emotional systems. And one of those is lust. And that's kind of, you know, going into reproducing and that yeah. kind of thing. We might call it something different. We've got care, which is, you know, tender and loving. We've got panic, which is loneliness and sadness. And we've got play, which is joy. And those four are more social emotions. Mm-hmm. So we can kind of look at that and go, well, all these these emotions that come within that, you know, I think it's it's quite easy to then go, yes, dogs can feel that and mammals can feel that. It's not just exclusive to dogs and people, it's it's mammals as well. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of research coming out of that, you know, with birds as well. We know that birds have can can feel um different emotions, quite strong ones as well. So it's wow. it's it's quite broad so I think it's um it's a really interesting and I do say that uh, to a lot of people looking at uh, Dr Panskep's work because some of the stuff he he discovered and and taught is phenomenal it's it's a very very exciting research that he's got yeah yeah that it's amazing I do think you mentioned birds there the more species that we look at and and actually observe and you know, even from a layperson's point of view, we we there's um we live by a farm, so there's in the in the summer months there's cows in the field, um and they have their calves with them, and watching them, it's just wonderful. You start to see relationships and the ones that hang around together and how the the mums are with the babies and how the babies are, you know, and it just inspires a whole new level of understanding, you know. And, and I mean, we had rabbits. We had, um, they weren't exactly house rabbits. They were sort of in the, in the laundry. So they were free. They were in the laundry. Yeah. But seeing them and the little things they got up to and their different characteristics, you know, and there was one who was um, a, a larger la- rabbit. And she would, when I went out and gave them all a, a carrot treat, I mean, a, a piece of carrot, she would go and hide hers. And then she'd come back and mug the others for their bits of carrot, you know. <laughs> and okay, she, you know, but again, there was a little, she was naughty, but there was a little thought process going on there. And she'd worked out if I hide mine, they can't get to it because I'm a bigger rabbit. I can put mine up there and I can go and get theirs, you know. But they, it's just, it's fascinating to me that the more we learn about them, the more we learn. Yet they do have 
thoughts and feelings and 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 we need to be aware of that don't we and, and explore it more as, mu- as much as we can yeah absolutely I mean I think that it, it just puts more further evidence that, that they are sentient beings yes um and I think it just brings that awareness to it yeah definitely definitely so I want to sort of talk about how it might impact our training and life in general but how might the fact that our dog has feelings how might that impact our training I think um when we have that knowledge when we have that understanding we can relate to them and when we can relate to our dogs of okay how how is my dog feeling it gives a much greater insight on how we now that need to respond to them how what's the best way to respond to you know someone that's feeling a certain way what's the best way to respond to them and if we can relate to them we can come you know our methods come from a more you know empathic place so we're we're feeling more empathy towards them so I think that really really does help because a lot of the time if we're kind of if we do kind of strip away emotion and we kind of go this is robotic then we come from a very robotic kind of state of mind and I think that changes our relationship and that changes our way and our perspective and so if we see a dog and we think that they don't have these feelings then we our training might become more robotic and it might come you know a bit more we do this 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 and this and and it's very linear um but when we do come from a point of view where oh you're feeling you know you're feeling fearful well I can relate to fear I felt fearful before okay well how would I feel if I would be if I were put into this situation how would I feel and what would help me? And that just helps to just go, okay, I know how to talk to my dog because now I'm I'm changing the tone in how I speak to my dog. I'm changing the words and how I'm saying them. I'm changing my mannerism, my body language. So it comes as a whole and, and it intrinsically changes how people are living with their dogs and how they're helping them through all these different, you know, life stages, all these different development stages, all the different kind of life experiences, you know, all the different backgrounds that dogs come from, we can actually go, well, of course, this dog came from this kind of background. He must be feeling this way. So I need to now treat him more carefully. I need to treat him, you know, in a different way. So, you know, then if I didn't think he was feeling fearful, you know, if, he, if, a, if a dog was feeling joyful and happy, I wouldn't necessarily treat them in a way where they're a bit more fragile. So, you know, it's it's all coming from, you know, showing empathy, knowledge, kindness. And I think it that really does help when we know that they have these feelings. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And I think it, you're absolutely right. It, it changes the focus. The focus goes away from I need, you know, I, we're very focused on us. What I need, I need you to sit down, be good, not jump up my friends or not bark at the, at the doorbell or whatever it is. I need that. And that's, that's true. But what do you need to, in order for me to have that, what do you need? And also, you know, for example, when, if you're pulling on the lead, how are you feeling? What's making you do that? And if we kind of start looking at that, it, I think it, you, it, we approach it in the right way rather than, oh, I'm going to start doing anything, you know, any nasty methods rather than that. How can I actually address this from your point of view, the dog? Why? Why? What's going on? And let's look at that. And then that's got to help us train them more effectively, hopefully, and and definitely have a happier dog, isn't it? Absolutely. Because... We want our dogs to feel heard. We want our dogs to feel that they're, you know, that they're being listened to. And, you know, I think as well, you know, like you said, you know, coming from the perspective of, you know, obedience and things like that, that's kind of more about 
us. It's what I need my dog to be. I need my dog to be obedient. And a lot of the the kind of things that come with obedience training and things like that are usually coming from that perspective of, you know, I'm doing this because I this is what's expected of my dog. This is what's expected of me as an owner. This is what is expected of me in society with me and my dog. And I think that when we actually come away from that, we start to look at, yeah, but what does my dog need? How would this benefit my dog? You know, and, and I, I think, you know, when we, we see it from the free will approach and with free will, it's not about, you know, having a dog that does everything everywhere, you know, and there's no boundaries because boundaries are necessary. They're a necessary part of life for us, for children, for adults, for animals. We all live within boundaries. Um, but it's looking at what the it, are these boundaries necessary? How do they benefit the dog? Because a lot of the boundaries are, OK, well, this is for the dog's safety. This is for our safety, society's safety. So we kind of look at it from that perspective, but seeing how we can address it in a way where it still benefits our dog and it still benefits us. So it's it's coming from an equal perspective rather than I just need my dog to do this because this is what I've been told I need my dog to do. It's it's coming in, but does how does my dog feel about doing that or not doing this? You know, is it yeah. natural for them to to act in this way? And so you start to really change the whole perspective, and then as a, as the whole process of this goes on, you can you completely change your mind. Your mind changes about your dog. Your dog's mind then changes about life. So I think it just has this whole positive outlook. Yeah, yeah. I think that's if your dog knows they can communicate something to you and so you know for example it could be I'm afraid of this it could just be I want to check in and you know know that you still like me kind of thing you know whatever it is if the dog knows they've got that ability to come to you and and have some input sometimes I really think that that makes the dog happier and like I'm afraid of the dentist for example but if I've got a dentist who will work with me and I, I know I can say hang on, can you just stop? Can I just have, you know, 30 seconds just to get my thoughts together? I just need to, and then then we can go again. And if the dentist will say, yeah, that's okay, I understand. I'll, you know, I'm much happier than if it's a dentist that's just going, no, I'm going to carry on going. I don't care what you say. I'm just going to, you know. And it's, yeah. it's kind of that, I think, for our dogs, isn't it? That if they, if we're more that, that kind <laughs> dentist, if you like, rather than they, no, no, I'm just going to do this. I need my things done. They've got to be happier, haven't they? Absolutely. And, you know, I've actually experienced that myself, um, you know, coming from the dentist perspective, I, I had, a, 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 I mean, I was so fearful to the point I was shaking like a leaf when I knew that I had to go to the dentist. I was like, oh, I, because I had had that experience of I went, I went to the dentist and I didn't know what the dentist was going to do. So there's the fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then sometimes they just do, you know, rip a tooth out if it's a, a wisdom. I had that and suddenly they were like, right, we're just taking this out, rip it out. Um, and of course that leaves you, you, you don't feel that you've got that knowledge or the ability to have any choices or any input into this experience. Um, I then went to a different dentist when I moved house, who was absolutely fantastic and really understood my fear and actually talked me through every single step that was going to happen before it was even, before we were even at that point, just talking me through, allowing me to kind of you know, digest that information and go, oh, am I ready for that? Okay. And he said, if you're not ready for that, it's okay. It can wait. And 
I had choice. I had the information given to me. It was, it was, you know, I wasn't in fear of the unknown. I knew exactly what was going to happen. And so that made me feel much more empowered. Yeah. And then we, we take that and we actually apply that to our dogs. That actually really works in the same way. We can empower our dogs through giving them choices, through teaching them what's going to happen each step of the way as they're ready, you know, and, and acknowledging, okay, you're not ready for that, don't worry about it. And taking away, so one of the things that the dentist did, is he said, we're not here to achieve anything right now. You know, we're going to take the, you know, sense of you need to get this step and then this step and then this step, we're going to take that away. And so there wasn't a sense of achievement. I went to the dentist, we did whatever needed to be done, what I could manage, and then went again, and then I could go back another time and see what needed to be done that time so it takes away all the pressure of okay I need to get through this I need to just get through this bit I need to get through this bit and that really does help when we apply that to dogs as well it's it's about taking out that pressure taking out that we need to achieve this by this date we need to you know each week we need to see progress it's about okay well actually what do you like today because today is going to be different from tomorrow your mind's going to be different in a different state depending on all sorts of different factors you know your mood can change within seconds so we've got to adjust things as our dog's mood you know fluctuates and changes and we can adjust how we are doing things without having this oh I've got but we're nearly at this point we're so close to getting and reaching this bit of the training or this bit of whatever experience we're going through and I think when we take that away we're more relaxed and when we're more relaxed they're more relaxed so I think the whole the whole process of it works well yeah yeah I love that because they are you, you know you have you'll wake up and you go I'm having a good day I'm having a bad day I'm tired I'm whatever um I've had good news I've had bad news and obviously it's not quite the same for dogs but they, they have different days and that kind of well you did it yesterday you know <laughs> it's well yeah. they might not do it today you know it's, it's um I, I think that's a much kinder approach to the dog and that, one of the things I was thinking about was sort of you know separation anxiety which mm which can be very, you know, it, it can be a, a pain, I mean, a, an inconvenience for the owner, particularly, you know, if your neighbours complain yeah. about noise or, you know, the dog destroys things while you're out. And and that's a one that's really easy to slip into seeing from the owner's point of view, this is a nuisance to me. But, you know, somebody said to me, it's like a panic attack to the dog. And I mean, that is such a vile thing to go through. And if you start to yeah. see that from the dog's point of view, oh my goodness, then suddenly... You really, really want to address this for the dog's benefit, don't you? Absolutely. And then it takes away those kind of um, pressures of having to do it. And I've experienced that myself. You know, I've I've struggled with um, having a dog that couldn't cope um, Mm. with being left alone. I mean, all my dogs have been rescue dogs. So they all came with with different backgrounds um, and different needs. And so I know what it's like you know, for the, for people going through that, I know how much it can, you know, take over your life. But when you actually start to see it from your dog's perspective, you, you find it a lot easier to know how to deal with this in a more natural way, because you go, well, if this was a child, how would we deal with this, you know, for a child? And I think, you know, a lot of it comes from that. It's like, how would I deal with this if it was a person, you know, rather than seeing it as a separate, this is a dog and they have a dog brain, and so we deal with things differently. We don't. And they don't have, they have differences within their species. But in general, how the brain as a mammal works is, is the same as how it works for us and other mammals. So, you know, you have different species, uh, you know, that will work slightly differently to do with their species. But but in general, how the actual brain works is the same. Yeah. So we can start to relay it back and go, how would we deal with that? And that changes a lot of, you know, 
these kind of structured training plans that we have to follow that can be, you know, and I've done them myself, very unrealistic for most people. They're very unrealistic for most people and most dogs. So it's actually coming from a different perspective and, and actually completely viewing separation anxiety in a very, very different way. And maybe even just removing the label of separation anxiety and actually going, well, what is actually happening? Well, it's a dog that, that cannot cope. It's a dog who's actually really struggling because when we apply separation anxiety to, you know, as a label, we're dismissing a lot, even in that title, we're dismissing a lot of the emotions that are going through that dog's mind. So it's actually taking that and going, let's take it at face value. What is this? What are we looking at? Well, this is what the dog is going through rather than labeling what it is as a, you know, where we're actually just spreading it across wide, you know, widely where we're going, okay, all dogs are going through this if they're, if they're not coping, when actually it's very different for each dog. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Yes, because sometimes dogs, I guess it might be genuinely, I'm on my own. Sometimes it might be, I get too cold, I get too hot, or there's a noise, or, I, you know, I don't know, there's such a myriad of things that might be making the dog unhappy. Yeah. yeah? Wow. It's it, it's brilliant. I love it. I mean, traditionally, science particularly, hasn't viewed dogs as sentient beings. But I mean, tell us a little bit about the, the, the history of the way dogs have been viewed and, and sort of why. Well, we've when we look at historically how we actually use dogs, we use them for our benefit. So they were there to benefit us. They were there to work for us, to hunt for us, to, you know, go to war with us. You know, a lot of the stuff that we we had dogs for was a benefit for us, not necessarily from them. So our perspective was completely different. Mm-hmm. We didn't really, there, there wasn't actually a lot of interest in understanding dog psychology at all, understanding any kind of things that are going on with them. And a lot of the times with, with mammals anyway. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it would, it was more convenient for a start. I think it's more convenient when we look at how dogs were treated, when we look at how animals have been treated, it is more convenient to to kind of say, well, they don't they don't feel the same way as we do, so they can cope with this. So it does make us feel better about the way we were treating animals. You know, when we when we go back a hundred years ago, yeah. Um, you know, when we look at how you know dog training started, you know, in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds, it came from war. Um, it was obedience training for war, and so that's why they were using a lot of the traditional training methods that they were using. That you know is being pushed out now. Um, thankfully so I think it's it's about looking at where we were as a society and and were was there an interest that benefited us I think a lot of the research is okay well now we're starting to see that the dogs aren't there to benefit us in in the same way obviously they do benefit us but Mm -hmm. it's not solely that one-sided anymore and we're not seeing dogs as pets anymore we're seeing them as family members and when we see them as family members, we've got much more interest in, in that research. And so obviously research wasn't done because it, there wasn't a need or a call for it. And and I think it's, you know, I think one of the, um, I read it when I was reading one of my, the research books, um, I can't remember the title at the moment, but uh, one of the things the person was talking about was saying, you know, 60, 70, 80 years ago, dogs were seen as artificial beings they weren't Mm. even seen as you know that's why they were they're seen as property because they weren't Mm. seen as individuals they were seen as like an artificial kind of creation from a wolf which we know is inaccurate now Mm. so it's it's kind of really our perspective that's been changing over you know decades and decades and I think that that's really really helped and I think one of the things as well is why people didn't think 
dogs could feel certain ways is because there is still a common misconception that dogs are limited in a in their cognitive ability and their social ability to you know cap that equivalent of a two and a half year old three year old child which isn't really true because they actually can do far more than that. And so the research is, you know, is backing that they can, you know, we're actually more realistically looking at a six-year-old child. Mm. Um, And so that's where, you know, things like teaching language and teaching things like that, that children can do at six years old is, is stuff that dogs can do. They reach these same milestones in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So, you know, yes, there's differences, but they're not capped at, you know, a two and a half year old. When we think about, how we think a two and a half year old can think and feel and communicate it's incredibly limited compared to a six-year-old child so when we have that you know we take away and we break through that barrier we go well actually no they can understand a lot more than this well that already opens up a wide avenue of, of what they can and can't do so I think that that's really helped um you know really change our perspective on on how we see animals and and you know that we're seeing them as as you know we're understanding them as more sensitive beings now whereas we weren't before yeah yeah I love it I love it because I've, I've you know seen we've always been positive with that personally with our dogs but you learn this sounds really strange but you learn how to be more positive so you know yeah. y- you know you do be, I, I get to be, talk to lovely people like you who tell me things and I'm like oh yes that sounds good and we now have the dog in the house is it's my daughter's dog is a german spitz client so she's a bit like a pomeranian she oh. just have pomeranian in her ancestry and they, they they can you know if you look at the standard um the breed descriptions they can be stubborn that word is is sometimes said now this dog there's four of us in the house and this dog will do anything for any of us and in the past, I mean, Buddy and Star were wonderful. Buddy was my dog, Star was my daughter's dog. But they would work much, much more. Buddy would work more for me or be obedient for me or like check in with me and go, Do I, am I doing this? You know, and Star would be more like that with Jenny. Whereas Mischief has learned, okay, good things come from all of you. I'm going to do, you know, whatever it is, you, you know, if you're asking me to go out to the toilet or, or just come here or whatever it is. She will do it much more readily because she just knows all of us are the source of good things and... I've seen the effect that's had on her. She's so ready. She's like, yeah, yeah, what, what, what? You know, because she knows that good things will happen. So it really fascinates me to learn more about this and to to be more positive because I really, really think it gets great results from the dog and they're happier and and you get a, you know, a a better behaved, I was there, a better dog, but a better behaved dog, if you like, or a dog that's easier to live with or more fun to live with. And I just think it's just a force for good. And that's, that's what we want. And surely the most important thing is that we have a dog who can function happily in the real world. Isn't that what we all need? Absolutely. I mean, that that's that's it in a sentence, you know, that's it in a, a nutshell. We want a dog that is able to function in, in a, a good way. Not We don't we don't want to have, you know, a, a dog that is, is dysfunctional because that's not good for the dog. Um, and equally, that that causes a lot of stress to us as well. But, you know, when we have, you know, dysfunctional minds, that's incredibly stressful. So we want to, to teach them how to have healthy, well-balanced minds and how to regulate their emotions, how to regulate their own thoughts. So we're kind of passing that, you know, more power to them and teaching them how to regulate themselves as well. So to, so that they are more functional. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I love it. We'll have to have another interview and go into it even more. because I, I would love, love to. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Um, Bethany, is there anything else that you'd like to say that you haven't had time to say yet? 
Um, I would just like to, um, you know, for, for any listeners, is to encourage people to maybe just think a little bit, you know, open up your mind a little bit more, because I think it's it's very hard, you know, and I'm, I'm coming from, you know, this, you know, I've come from that experience of, you know, thinking, okay, well, this is what it is, because this is what I've been taught, and having to change, you know, what I thought was true, and what I thought was real. So I think actually just having that, that okay, question some of the things that we may already think we know and it it, it really does um take you to a completely different place i think that when you do that you, you are very surprised about how far you can go as well it's a it's a really good journey to go on yeah excellent excellent you sold it <laughs> i'm sold on it um and where can people find out more about you online we have a Facebook group, um, if I can link that in. Um, Kathy's got a website as well, which is the Academy of Free Will Teaching. Um, we've got the lots of resources within the group. Um, and, you know, we've got lots of different ways that, and platforms that we can help people with. I love learning new things which will improve my relationship with my dog and enhance my understanding of them. Thanks to Bethany for all those insights into making our dogs happier. We have the links she mentioned on the Dogcast Radio site at dogcastradio.com. Talking of emotions, as we are in this show, we've had a lot of feels recently in the UK, as well-known dog lover, comedian and chat show host Paul O'Grady died. He made the popular TV show For the Love of Dogs, showcasing the charity work of Battersea Dogs and Cats Home and the wonderful dogs they care for. Paul may have been on a one-man crusade to adopt as many dogs as possible, because during his time filming at Battersea, he rehomed Eddie, a Chihuahua Jack Russell Cross, Boise, a Shih Tzu, Conchita, a Maltese Terrier, Mongrels, Arthur and Nancy, and Wirehead Dachshund, Sausage. The dogs who survive him are being cared for by his husband, and one can only imagine the stampede which must have shaken Rainbow Bridge when Paul passed over and arrived there. Thank you, Paul, for all the laughter you gave us and all the love you gave to dogs. Rest in peace and run free. Talking of famous dog lovers arriving at Rainbow Bridge, perhaps the most famous dog lover in the world, Queen Elizabeth, passed over in 2022, leaving behind two beloved corgis, whose main caregiver now is Sarah Ferguson, a.k.a. the Duchess of York and the late Queen's ex-daughter-in-law. According to the Duchess, the corgis were missing their mistress and their tails were down. She consulted a dog whisperer about giving them space to grieve, and now their tails are wagging once more. Thank goodness the love and support of canine companions is not reserved for the rich and famous. All of us can benefit from it, and one family in Belfast, Ireland, was saved from a fire by their trusty Labrador lurcher mix, Holly. Just as Darren McBride was about to go shopping, leaving one of his children in the house asleep, Holly started barking frantically, and when Darren went to investigate what was alarming her, he discovered his clothes dryer was on fire. The family are currently staying with friends while the fire damage to their house is repaired, but thanks to Holly, no lives were lost. In Melbourne, Australia, artist Agnieszka Pilat is training three robot dogs for the National Gallery of Victoria's 2023 Triennial to autonomously paint a work over four months in the gallery. Agnieszka is known for including technology and futurism in her work and has used robot dogs before. The dogs will use oil sticks to create their painting and will be trained to carry out certain movement, but have the choice of how to perform and combine the movements. There are around 100 artists taking part in the triennial and it will be interesting to see how the dog's masterpiece compares to their fellow artist's work. 
the robot dogs would be putting paint on the canvas. But one dog in Perthshire, Scotland, covered himself with colour while out on a walk. When Danny Bird took her two-year-old German wirehead pointer, Roscoe, for a walkies in a forest, he ran off into the trees, only to return completely blue. Now, to give you an idea how completely blue he was, in Danny's words, it was inside his ears, up his bum, and his tongue was blue. It turns out Roscoe had rolled in temporary tree dye. Danny discovered a van parked nearby with the back doors open and a large spray pack of the blue dye, which she took photos of and looked up the chemicals it contained to ensure it wasn't toxic for Roscoe. She then tried to wash Roscoe clean in a stream, which worked to an extent, but Roscoe still had to go in the shower when they got home, which he wasn't really keen on, meaning as his outsides got less blue, his insides became more blue. You know, in the sense he got sad. Come on, meet me halfway. OK, on to the last story. And it's a good one. When Megan King's dog passed away, her parents kindly bought her a new Rottweiler puppy called Paddy. The only snag was while Megan was in Merseyside in England, her parents were in Armagh in Northern Ireland. And the puppy spent his first few months of life with Megan's parents while his vaccinations took effect and he could safely travel to England. Megan and her partner, Jay Shaw, excitedly brought Paddy home, but soon discovered a new snack, because while Paddy would follow instructions Megan gave him, he ignored Jay. Until, that is, Jay worked out what the problem was and began to put on a Northern Irish accent, at which point, problem solved, Paddy understood and obeyed. Megan, however, fell about laughing at Jay's accent, but sometimes, when you're a dog owner, you've just got to do what you've got to do. And right now, what we have got to do is say goodbye. So until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dog cast radio that's all one word dog cast radio by email you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com when contacting us by email if you have the facilities please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file that way we can include them directly in our program we can accept most formats for example wav mp3 all these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. It's not Jenny. It's one of our top Facebook fans, Laura. Go for it, Laura. What do you get if you cross a beetle and an Australian dog? Dingo star.